Uh, let's open in prayer here as we, as we turn to 1 Kings 17. Lord, we just thank you for uh, just this time to meet together, uh, a time to dive into your word, a time to, though we are apart, Lord, we're together in one spirit, um, just hearing from you this morning, Lord. So bless the words I, I speak and just uh, multiply them, Lord. I pray that, pray that as, as I speak into this, this screen here, Lord, that um, your people would feel the, your spirit, Lord, resting on them this morning as we praise your name this morning, as we, as we hear a message this morning, Lord. So just uh, bless this time. Amen. So 1 Kings 17. Um, before we get into it, I just have a, a guilty pleasure I got to admit to all you guys. And it's one that I'm not particularly fond of, unfortunately. And it might be one that you're all watching on right now, and it's Facebook. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that I go on Facebook, and I, I scroll, I scroll, I scroll, I see nothing, and then I shut it off, and then I kind of look around the house, and I stare at the ceiling, and then, oh, maybe something new is on Facebook. So I open Facebook app back up again, I scroll, I scroll, and, and that might be like, what a lot of you guys are doing at home right now. Maybe you're in self-isolation. You go into the fridge. You open the fridge door. You look in. You go, hmm, nothing. So you close the door and you walk away. And you go, hmm, well, maybe the fridge fairies were just on a five-minute coffee break. Maybe they've left me something new to enjoy. So you go back and you open the door and you go, nothing. Those darn fridge fairies, man, they're just, maybe they're on strike. Or maybe you're like what I do on Facebook, and I, uh, I open up Facebook, and, and I, I look at what some people are doing. I scroll, I scroll, I comment, and then if you're like me, I just get fired up from zero to ten in like two seconds. My anger just skyrockets. And then I just, you know, we don't have flip phones anymore, so you can't slam the phone closed, but I angrily press the home button, and that's it. And, uh, and then I look around, and my temper comes back down to zero, and then I go huh, maybe something's changed on Facebook. And I open, and boom, right back up to 10, it goes again. And Well, during one of these self-directed suffering times I put myself through, I, I came across this comment in our community. And it was about COVID-19, and it said this. It said, every day I live my life in fear. And then the next day, when the doctor's report came out, if you guys don't know on the Sunshine Coast here, uh, we, have a, we have a doctor's report that comes out, a team of doctors that have gotten together, they come out with a daily update, and this daily update come out, came out, and someone shared it on Facebook, and uh, so someone commented on it, and it said, the more I read, the more I read these new updates from the doctors, I get more and more fearful. And that got me thinking. That just got me, it just hit me, it just got me thinking about my life, because you see, I, I I'm cautious about what's going on in the world, as I'm sure all of you guys are. I have a healthy respect for the issue we're facing. You know, I wash my hands regularly. I keep my required two-meter physical distancing. I try at least. Uh, you know, at, at work, we, we stop doing service calls into people's homes. We don't go into people's homes anymore. I've quit greeting everyone I see at the grocery store with a holy kiss. I stop, you know, I limit my visits to the grocery store. I only go once per week and I try and get everything I need for the week. And, you know, I'm doing everything that the pros are telling me to do in an effort to slow the spread. But in no way, in no way would I say I live every day in fear. 
And that got me thinking because I thought, man, all these comments on Facebook are saying they live in fear. They have fear. There's, they're scared. They're anxious. They're worried. And, and I go, well, I'm not. Should I be? Is what I started thinking. I, started, I sat there and I thought, should I be more scared than I am? Do I, do I actually not respect what's going on enough? Do I, do I need to be worried more? And, you know, uh, should I be freaking out? People, people that know me pretty well, they often will tease me and they'll say, Blake, you don't have any emotion. You're like a robot living in a fleshy, flabby body. Because it's true, I, I don't get overly excited and I, and I don't get overly down. I, I'm fairly even steadied and, and it just got me thinking seeing these comments on Facebook and I thought, should I be living every day in fear? Should I be more anxiety ridden about the world right now? And so as I was thinking about that, I was led to, uh, I was led to the book of 1 Kings and the history of a prophet in the Bible. And his name was Elijah. And let me tell you what I read about in the book of 1 Kings about Elijah. You see, Elijah was a prophet to the nation of Israel. He was alive around 870 BC, before Jesus was born, about 870 years before. And he was a prophet to the nation of Israel. And Israel was under a king named King Ahab. And Ahab was a bad dude. He and his wife Jezebel, they led the nation away from God, and they led him to a false god called Baal. So around 870 BC, Elijah shows up on scene, and he basically says, listen guys, you have not been honoring the Lord, Yahweh. So now you're going to have a drought for three and a half years. So Elijah prays, and a drought comes for three and a half years. And let's see how God looked after Elijah during that time. You see, during that time, God had Elijah hide at the brook Cherith, where he drank the water of the brook. And ravens came and brought him food in the morning and, and in the evening. And then after a little while, because of the drought, the river dried up. So God said, hey, I'm still going to look after you you go to a near town called Zarephath. And in Zarephath, Elijah came across a widow and her son. And they welcomed Elijah into her home. And though they didn't even have enough food or oil, they actually say in there, we're going to go bake our last bit of bread and then we're going to go die because we have no food because of the drought. They didn't even have enough to feed themselves. If you guys have 1 Kings chapter 17 open, that's great because I don't. So if you don't have it open, you've got a little bit of time. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 14. It says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So the Lord looked after him. The Lord looked after him. And so Elijah packs up, and he heads back to, to Mount Carmel, and after about three years, the word of the Lord came to him and said, okay, it's time to go back and talk to the king. Time to talk to King Ahab, and we're going to send rain back upon this earth. So Elijah packs up, he heads back to Ahab, Ahab's all ticked, you know how it goes. And, and, and Elijah says, okay, Ahab, gather all your prophets. Gather all the people of Israel. Go meet me on Mount Carmel. And uh, we'll see what happens. So Ahab gathers them all. He does like Elijah asks. And they, they meet on the mountain. And Elijah came near to all the people. And he asked them this question. Chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18. 
verse 21. It's going to come up on screen. And this is what really struck me. This is, this is what this whole Facebook led up to. And it says this, verse 21. It says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. And if not, then don't follow him. And so that struck me, just that right there. And I got stuck on the thought. I thought, if the Lord is God, then follow him. So in that moment, I, I, I sat there and I thought, I just said out loud. I said, Lord, you are God. I follow you. I don't want to be like the nation of Israel who sat idle, who's lukewarm, hopping back and forth between one or the other. I'm answering you right now. You're God, and I want to follow you. And the Lord said, then if you truly believe I'm God, start acting like it. Do not fear, the Lord tells us. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Joshua 1, 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Fellow Christians, did you know that you were bought with a price? You know, even God knows the old saying, you, ain't, you don't get nothing for nothing. Jesus came to earth, fully man and fully God, and he paid the ultimate price for you. He laid down his life for you. His blood was shed, and he was put to death so that you may live. He was beaten, he was scorned, he was hung on the cross until he gave up his own spirit. And at that moment that he gave up his spirit, a transaction was completed. A plan was set in place from the beginning of time was completed and it was fulfilled and you became adopted into the family of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You see, God has already bought you with a price. Now all you have to do is say yes and you're in. Romans 10, 9-11 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And so when you confess with your mouth and, and believe in your heart, then you become a child of God. And when you become a child of God, you have certain assurances that you need to ascertain. You see, when you become a child of God, you can replace doubt with the assurance of salvation. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, when you become a child of God, you can replace fear with the assurance of answered prayer. John 16, 24, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. You see, when you become a child of God, you can replace anxiety with the assurance of victory. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
You see, church, when you become a child of God, you can replace worry with the assurance of forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, church, when you become a child of God, you can replace uncertainty with the assurance of guidance. Guidance, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You guys, this needs to be understood. What Elijah called on the nation of Israel to do is insanely important. You need to make a decision for or against Jesus. You need to no longer be be standing in the middle trying to straddle the fence, trying to hop from one branch to another. When you choose God as king and lord, you become adopted into the family. You get to call God your father. You get to rest in the knowledge that you were bought with a price. You were adopted into the family, sealed with the Holy Spirit. A stamp, boom, placed on your head like a king's wax seal. And that seal doesn't bring fear and worry and anxiety. The the Spirit doesn't bring any of that. It brings power and love and self-control. You see, when you become a child of God, you can rest in those five assurances. You can replace fear. You can replace worry. You can replace anxiety. You can replace doubt with all those things. Let's look back at Elijah. He calls for the people of Israel to make a decision for or against God. And then what God does when the prophets of Baal put God to the test. And Elijah calls on the Lord to glorify himself. So let's look. 1 Kings 18, verse 23. It'll come up on the screen. It says, Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So Elijah takes a bull. He sets up this scenario and he says, you guys take a bull, I'll take a bull. You guys call on your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord and whoever answers, we'll, we'll say he's God. So the prophets of Baal agree and they say, okay, yeah, cool, let's do it. So they take their, they take their bull, they prepare it, they place it on the wood and they begin to call on their God, Baal. They call, they call, they do a little jig and a dance around their altar and then the afternoon hits and they begin whipping themselves on their back and beating themselves till blood comes out and they're calling on their god they're dancing around they're offering they're and you know just imagine the scene there's 450 prophets of Baal and then there's actually another 400 prophets of Asheroth that are there and you know it's just crazy, I'm sure. Like, it's, there's all these people just dancing, yelling, shouting, bleeding, and all the way from the morning into the mid-afternoon. And, and at one point, Elijah, just, I can just imagine him just sitting there, just, just, he's just watching this scene unfold, and he's, he starts mocking them. He says, yell louder, yell louder, because maybe your God's asleep, or maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he took a little trip to another land, or, or maybe he's actually in the bathroom relieving himself. And so finally, Elijah, he gets tired of all these shenanigans. He stands up. He takes his bowl. He prepares the bowl. He builds the altar. And upon the altar, he tells the people to actually pour 
Three times, three times he tells them to pour water on his altar and over his bull to make sure it's fully saturated. And then look with me at verse 36. It says this, what did Elijah do? At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You see, within seconds, within seconds of Elijah praying that, the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the bull, the dust around it. It even burned up all the water that they poured on it, and there was nothing left. And so Elijah seized the 450 prophets of Baal, took them down to the brook, and slaughtered them all. And then finally, Elijah got down in prayer, and he prayed for rain. Seven times, seven times he prayed for rain, until finally, a little cloud was seen rising up over the distance. And so Elijah told King Ahab, you better get moving back to your city before the rain prevents you from going. So Ahab gets on his chariot. He begins to ride back to his castle, I think probably to cry to his wife, Jezebel, about what just happened. And then get this. This is like one of the most underrated stories in the Bible. Just these two verses here. I love this part. Look what verse 46 says. It says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Elijah girded up his loins and outran the king's chariot of horses back to the city of Jezreel. Now, how far is that? That's about 27 kilometers away. That's like getting off the Langdale Ferry and running to Seashelt, beating a chariot of the king's horses. Like the just in one sentence that's like we could just read that we go oh cool the man ran beating a chariot of these aren't like little lame horses these are the king's chariot and he ran outran them amazing think of think of what elijah's done so far in the power of god at the beginning of all this elijah prayed for rain prayed for no rain and it stopped elijah was then taken care of by god had ravens come and feed him. God led him to a brook where there was water. When the brook dried up, God took him to a, to a, a widow and, and provided food for the widow's house and their son. While Elijah was at, that son, at the widow's house, the son actually died, and Elijah prayed for the boy to come back to life, and the Lord brought him back to life. Elijah called for fire to come from heaven, and it did. Elijah prayed for rain to return, and it did. Elijah had the hand of the Lord upon him so he could run 27 kilometers faster than King Ahab's chariot could. And yet the thing is about Elijah is that he's still a man. Have you heard the saying that the best of men are but men at their best? 
you know, from what we just read and what we just went over, I think we could safely say that Elijah knew he was a child of God. He knew where his strength came from. He knew God was his provider. He knew God was on his side. He knew the scripture inside out and backwards. Elijah could preach a sermon better than any preacher you've ever heard before. He could, he could pray a prayer stronger than any man has ever prayed before. Yet he was still a man and men fail. Do you know the best time for you to fail? It's immediately after you succeed. Immediately after you succeed, you let your guard down. Immediately after you succeed, you, you start to get a bit of an ego. You start to think that you can do things on your own. You start to forget about your Father in heaven who's working all things. But thankfully for Elijah, thankfully for you out there in TV land, thankfully for me, God is faithful. But more than that, God's faithfulness is not dependent on your character. It's not dependent on my character. God's faithfulness is dependent on his character. Let's read what happens to Elijah when he gets back to the city of Jezreel, where Jezebel and Jezebel's already there, and I like to imagine, in my head, I like to imagine King Ahab strolling in just behind Elijah. Not exactly what happened, but I like to imagine it in the Bible of Blake. 1 Kings 19, 1-4. Let's see what happens, what Jezebel says to uh, Elijah. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Verse 3, Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. You see, Elijah forgets. Elijah just forgets. Elijah forgets what the Lord has done for him. He forgets the faithfulness of God. He forgets that he's a child of God. He lets fear back into his life because he forgets. The fear of a queen, a, a, a simple human. You see, when servants get out of God's will, they're liable to do foolish, foolish things. And Elijah does a foolish thing. He forgets. He forgot about the history that he had with God. He forgot about the way God looked after him. He forgot about the amazing things God did for him. He forgot that he's a child of God. And in turn, he let fear grip him. He let fear enter his life. But thankfully, our Father, our Heavenly Father, is a loving Father. He's a merciful, slow to anger, and rich in love Father. And so as Elijah runs into the desert, fearing the queen and what she might do to him. I don't know. She wants to kill him. Elijah gets scared. He runs into the desert asking to be killed. But the Lord looks after him. Let's look at verse, verse 5. Verse 5 to 8. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. 
And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. You see, the Lord cared for Elijah. He didn't cast him aside. He didn't leave him on his own. God is faithful even when you aren't. God is faithful even when you're fearful. God is faithful when you don't think he's there. God is faithful when you forget about him. God is faithful not based on how you act or or how you think, but by his own character and goodness. And so Elijah makes his way to Mount Horeb, what as we commonly know it as, and scholars tend to agree, that's actually Mount Sinai. We commonly know it as Mount Sinai, which is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And so Elijah makes his way to the mountain, Mount Horeb, and and shelters himself in a cave, and and the Lord speaks to him and, and tells him to come out of the cave, verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak And went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. The Lord asks him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah I like to think, responds in probably the whiniest voice you've ever heard. I've been jealous for you, Lord. No one else cares about you. They throw the altar down, and and now I'm the only one left. You see, the Lord demonstrated his power in wind that tore the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces. He demonstrated his power in an earthquake. He demonstrated his power in fire. But where did Elijah finally hear the word of the Lord? The voice of the Lord? He heard it in the sound of a low whisper. And that's often how the Lord speaks to us, right? If he wanted to, right now, he could send fire from the heavens. He could cause an earthquake to split the globe in half. He could send winds across the earth, flattening every tree across Canada. He could send a a virus to consume the whole world. You know, in God's power, if he didn't allow that sun to come up this morning, it wouldn't have come up. In his power, if he didn't hold the stars together, they would just fly away into who knows what. You see, the Lord has power beyond belief, yet he talks to us in a still still calm voice. God rarely works in manners of grandiose scale and epic proportions. He can if he wants to, but it's rare. He speaks and works in small ways we don't expect. Remember last week when we were talking about David and Goliath? The armies of Israel came up against Goliath and the Philistines. Who did God send? Another Goliath? No, he sent a small teenage boy with nothing but a rock and a sling. What about when God wanted to free his people from from slavery in Egypt? Who did he send? Did he send a big time, another Goliath to, to conquer the Egyptians? No, he sent Moses, a man who was too timid to even speak for himself. What about when God wanted to save the world, wanted to save you? 
Did he send a, a wartime tactician to come and destroy the Roman Empire and, and bring the Isra- Israelite people to power? No, he sent a baby. He sent Jesus, born in a manger. Let's look at what God said to Elijah in that, in that still small voice. The first half of 15. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. The Lord said, Go. Go, Elijah, get back to work. You've had your time here in the cave to remember how good and merciful the Lord is. You've had your pity party, now get back to work. You know how good I've been to you, Elijah. You, you, it's time for you to remember the things I've done for you. And I think this is a great reminder for us, for you. You know, maybe right now you've forgotten the goodness of the Lord. You've forgotten how much God has done for you in the past. You know, maybe you're like me and you go on Facebook and you see these comments about fear and anxiety and worry and you start to, starts to grip you. It starts to just grab a hold of your heart and you think, yeah, I'm, I'm fearful. Maybe you've forgotten that you've been bought with a price. The ultimate price, the blood of Jesus. You know, maybe you're worried about your job. Maybe you're worried about how you're going to be able to pay rent this month. You're fearful of what's going to happen when, we, when your last roll of toilet paper runs out. But you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Because the Lord is merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. His faithfulness isn't based on your faithfulness. His faithfulness is based on his own character. And so maybe you've been limping between choosing God or, or choosing the world like the Israelites are doing. And, or, or maybe you feel like Elijah and you just don't even care anymore. You just, you're, just, you're just done with God. You go, no, God, I'm done with you. You, you haven't been looking after me. Maybe you feel like, you know, you're still with God, but you've just been walking in the desert like, like Elijah was for 40 days and 40 nights. Maybe you're yelling at God to, give me a, give me a grandiose sign, God. Send fire from heaven, Lord. I want to encourage you this morning uh, just to take this time. Take this time while you're at home. You know, maybe you're in self-isolation. Maybe you're not working right now. There's no hockey going on. There's no sports. There's nothing going on in the world. What are you doing with your time? Spend this time and invest in the Lord. Listen for that still small voice of the Lord speaking to you. Because there's going to come a time, I can't say this with certainty, but I have hope. There's going to come a time when this lockdown lets up, church. And the Lord is going to call you to go. He's going to call you to go. So prepare yourself. Spend this time preparing. Spend this time in the word. Spend this time in prayer. Ask God to speak to you with that still small voice through his word through prayer, and he will. Because there's going to come a day when the Lord's going to say, all right, you've had your time in the cave. He's going to give you the tap on the back of the head and you're in. It's time for you to get to work. Because you see, we as the church, we're, we're called to be the light of the world. We're called to shine our light before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to care for the elderly and the less fortunate. We're called to spread the good news of the gospel. We're called to go and make disciples of all nations. We're called to do everything we do for the glory of God. 
And soon, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, I don't know, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe 10 years from now, the Lord's going to give you that tap on the back of the sweater. And he's going to say, you're up, kid. Get in the game. And you, wanna be pre- you don't want to be flat-footed. Be prepared. Don't get caught flat-footed when it comes to the works of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the work of the gospel, you need to be ready. And as children of God, we get to rest in those five assurances. But we also need to realize that we have responsibilities. So be ready, church. Be ready. Use this time wisely. Let me encourage you something. At the end of Elijah's complaining to God, he says this. He says, I'm the only one left in all the nations still devoted to you, God. I'm the only one that hasn't bowed the knee to another God. And God replies with this. Actually, just so you know, there's actually 7,000 others that have been set aside that haven't yet bowed the knee to Baal. And it's easy to fall into that trap too, right? For us, like, let me tell you, it is a wild thing to be preaching to a camera right now. It is like a weird experience. I'm sure it's weird for you guys too to be sitting at home in your pajamas. I was joking with Matt last week that some of you might be on the, sitting on the toilet, relieving yourselves while you're listening to a sermon. What a world we live in. What a world we live in. But you're by yourself. It's, it's just weird. Let me tell you something too. I miss you guys. I miss coming to church with the gatherings. We've been talking about this. It's been like, what do we say, 10 days since this craziness has gone on? It feels like it's been 10 months. Like, it's, it's just, it's feel like, it feels like we've been apart for so long. And it can make us feel like no one's out there, right? It can, it can isolate us easy. It can make us feel like there's just no one out there. I'm the only one left. Lord, no one else at church that's doing anything. It's just me praying. Let me encourage you, church, you guys out there in TV land. There's others of you out there in TV land. They're praying for you. They're praying alongside you. Your leadership team here at the church is praying for you. Your leadership team here is, is working hard to try and keep you guys connected, keep us in fellowship. You know, one of the big things that the elders here have talked about is, is keeping everyone connected because we need each other. We're told to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. And church, we see the day approaching. So be ready. Be ready. Remember that you're a child of God this week, church. Remember that your Father in heaven loves you, that he's looking after you. Remember the things the Lord has done for you. Wake up every day and choose God. Wake up every day and just declare the Lord is God. Declare Yahweh is Lord. Don't wake up and straddle between the world and, and, and God. Wake up every day and rest in those five assurances, church. But at the same time, be ready. Be prepared. Because someday... He's going to give you that tap, and you want to be ready, church. You want to be ready. Use this time wisely. Use this time wisely while we're in isolation, church. Invest in the Lord. Take advantage of these two seven books that we're doing. 
for me, I can't do anything by myself. I need a kick in the pants to make me do it. Do these two seven books. Commit to, a, to fellowship with each other. And so let me tell you one more thing that I have to admit, confess. I lied to you guys earlier. I'm sorry. I told you that you get nothing for nothing. But there is one thing in the world that you get for free. And that's eternal life. You see, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You know, maybe you're out there and you're, this is your first time even at church. This is your first time hearing anything like this and you're thinking, well, I'm not a child of God. I, I don't have those five assurances I can rest in. I, I have fear. I'm running low on toilet paper. I'm fearful. Help me. And you're, you're, crying out to, you're crying out to the world to help you. You're crying out to the world to calm your fears. You're waiting for the government to make a grandiose, epic scale of proportions to save you. I want to encourage you this morning to listen to that still, calm voice of the Lord. Because God is faithful to you. It's free. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And I want to encourage you this morning to pray that prayer with me this morning. We're going to pray in, in just a couple seconds here. And, and if you have that feeling of, man, I, I want to know Jesus. I want to become a child of God. Now's the time to do it. Now's the time. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your word, God. We thank for you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you for your character, that your, your, your goodness to us isn't based on our goodness back to you, Lord. You're looking after us, Lord, that we don't have to fear. You call us to, to rest in the five assurances that you've given us, Lord. You've called us to be a child of God and to begin acting like it, Lord. We want to act like your child, one that doesn't have fear, one that doesn't have anxiety, one that doesn't have worry, one that just rests in your truth, in the saving power of your son, Jesus Christ, who came and died for us, was put on the cross. His blood was shed for us, Lord. We just thank you for that, God. We rest in that assurance of safety, Lord. And Lord, I pray for those that, that maybe don't know Jesus, Lord, that want to know Jesus this morning. Uh, that they would just declare that you are their savior, Lord. They would choose you. They would say in their heart, I choose you, Lord. I believe that you came and saved me and died for me and was raised to life again. Lord, I was a sinner. I still am a sinner. But by your blood, I'm saved, Lord. And I thank you for that. I repent of my sins. I turn 180 degrees from, from where I was before this moment, Lord. Come into my heart, Lord. And I just pray for those out there that, that do know the Lord, that they would, be, they would be ready, Lord. They would be ready. Maybe God's calling you right now to do something. Maybe God's calling you right now to call a friend, 
to share in fellowship with someone over the phone or over Skype, Lord, just that they would act. Uh, Though we're apart, we're together in one spirit, Lord. We share a common goal, Lord. And we thank you for that. Amen.